We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, ready to go. Now, Coop, you do your primary job. Clap. What's that? Clapping. You're the clap expert. That's it. Fantastic. You happy with that? That one's close to your best. Thank you. Uh, Welcome to Backstage with Cooper and Matthew Johns. Episode 2 today. Episode 2, Coops. Luke Brooks last week. Uh, Thank you. Thank you to Brooksy. Thank you to Brooksy. Now we're on to a very special guest, friend of the podcast, friend of myself and of you, Mm. James Magnuson, the missile. The missile. I really like missile. He's a good man. Very straight shooter. Yeah. He's very very good on the radio, isn't he? He's really good. Got a good career in in the media. Um, The other thing sticks out about Missile, too. His wife, Rose. His partner, Rose. Um, She is MAD. Yeah. Mm. Spell that out. If you can't spell, mad. Mm. Yeah. She's MAD, but she's not BAD. She's a great person, but she's mad. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, she it, is. They're a very mad couple together. They are. Yeah, but Missile, uh, he's very much in the news, hasn't he? He's been, he's been, Coops, it's been right across the world uh, as far as him competing in the enhanced games. Enhanced games. Most newspapers in the world, like um, all the American newspapers, European newspapers. Yeah, everyone first wants person to co- every First person to commit. Yeah, and we've got him exclusive. Ex- well, I don't know if it's exclusive. Do you, do you know what exclusive means? Yeah. Go on. Like we get him to ourselves. Yeah. Just me and you and him in the room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll take that as, as an exclusive. Just before we get into the interview, yeah. uh, we've just both come back from Vegas. Oh, How are yeah. you feeling? How are you feeling? I feel good. I was over there uh, to capture content and to help promote the greatest game of all, Rugby League. Mm. Uh, so I was flat out working. Okay, who did you work with? Because uh, honestly, I've really met... The only person that's got as many fingers and pies as you is Nathan Highmarsh. So just tell the listeners what you're doing over there. Who who, who, who are you working for? Uh, for Kiss, for radio. Uh, Chiching. Yeah. Ch- well, I'm, well I, I work there. Yeah, Chiching. You know, I took Yeah. <laughs> Just and then uh, you know some stuff for Fox as well. Fox Ch- League. Cha-ching. Uh, Anyone else? No, that's it. You really. sure about that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it, really. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think there are other couple of things going on over there, but we'll, yeah. oh no, no, no! You talk about my pimp work while I've been over. <laughs> <laughs> Pays well. It does. Yeah. Thanks, Trish, for that helping me. Um, that yeah, I tell you what, I, I was doing a bit of work over there, but a little bit of play as well. Um, I'm a little bit scratchy, Coops. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm getting... Because you look scratchy on the cover, on your show. Mm. I was Wait. watching your show, you look a bit scratchy on there. Really? Yeah. I could tell. I could tell. I don't know if the people watching could tell. I don't know. I felt all right on the show. It was the fact that I had a few beers on the way home on the plane. Oh. Over there, I sort of behaved okay in Vegas. Certainly okay compared to the first time I went out there a few months ago. Mm. That was hardcore. I really... It, it cemented me that when you get past 50... You should not go on benders. Well, Trish and I were there this time. So <laughs> I think having the family there probably subdued you, would you say? Subdued you? Subdued you? I, yes, without a doubt, we had the handbrake there. But of course, Brian Fletcher. 
uh, his wife Britt went over with Trish. Oh. They were in cahoots. They discussed. They went. They had a, a discussion about how we looked on return for our first trip. They're horrified, and uh, they said, and they got in cahoots and said, and they went. Wow. They went together. They had a few days in LA, and then they met up with us at Vegas. Double handbrake. Yes, double double handbrake. <laughs> uh, but we made sure. Me and Fletch were in Vegas a day before them, so that first that first night we yeah okay we had a decent. Then we pulled back because we're professionals. Because the the show comes first, as yeah. it always has. Okay, I can hear him. He's arrived, ladies and gentlemen. The missile, James Magnuson. We're joined today by James Magnuson. Uh, the missile, or otherwise known as the human missile. How are you, James? I'm good, Cooper. Uh, ticket man, cash cock. You go by many uh, names now that you're over at uh, Kiss FM. I don't do the cash cock. I okay. am ticket man. That's intern Pete's job. I don't want to take away from him because Sorry. he has a bit of a feud with me at the moment. Mate, How you been? Why cash cock is in your future. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, hopefully I take it off him. <laughs> How you been, missile? Look, at Cooper, I've been uh, quite busy over the past week. A lot of stuff in uh, in the headlines. Mm. Um, I was talking to my dad the other day, and he said, "Mate, aren't you haven't you had enough of this stuff? Like, can't you just go quietly into the sunset and mind your own business?" So, look, Dad, you know, I would like to, but we're here now. Um, of course, I'm talking of uh, of the enhanced games. Mm. We're gonna get. We're gonna touch on the enhanced games. I'll for just a- chime in there for a second. Spotlight. The spotlight cha- uh, pays better than the show. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to interrupt you blokes, but like, um, you blokes are old colleagues, aren't you? So to speak. We have we've we've done uh, one radio show yes. together on but SCN. What a radio award show. winning! Oh, it was very good. It was. Very- <laughs> You've had a few hosts on that show. Where did I rank as a co-host? Ooh, good question. Pretty highly, I'd say, because at times there is a generational gap, which means some of my banter misses the mark. (laughs) You and Fletch would be good, though. (laughs) Yeah, Fletch Fletch is good fun. Um, When Fletch starts winding me up a bit and getting me going with some stories, I'm always looking around at the producers and... You know, Jeremy, who's in charge of content, going, is this, where are we going with this? I'm talking about strip clubs in Tijuana and Fletcher's just egging me on. <laughs> it gets pretty loose. It, I remember, because uh, we did it at a at a golf, at like an actual golf course. There was yeah. a couple, two of my favorite memories was, there was this weird, there was a, there was a strange man sort of lingering around with like lambing. Shout out, he's probably listening because yeah. he's your dad's biggest fan. Yeah. He had lambing, <laughs> he had lamingtons that he was trying to feed to us. Delicious. And, and then uh, he also was wearing these sneakers that hawkers, mi- hawkers. Which I mis- said never trust a man in hawkers. <laughs> and over he comes. <laughs> and Miss I was saying it on air. He just kept saying, "Yeah, I can't. I just can't trust someone with hawkers." And the guy was going over there, <laughs> giving the thumbs up. <laughs> But my, my favourite part on it was uh, we were sitting there and uh, Missile was going on about Pat Cummins. He was talking about Pat Cummins and the cricket. And I didn't know the vibe for the show at this stage. I knew it was pretty loose because Fle- it was Fletcher's drive show. Mm. And uh, I thought it would be a good joke. I had a joke in the arsenal. I said, oh, well, did you know uh, Pat Cummins has got a new cider company on? And Missile goes, does he? Uh, yeah, yeah, he started a new cider. And he goes, oh. And I said, ask me what he called it. <laughs> and he goes, what's he called it? And I said, come and cider. <laughs> and then Missile just went, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to have a technical difficulty. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. 
The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Sh- my heart sank into my chest. I was like, oh, like, I've, I've completely missed the mark. I'm going to get There's so much hate. that, though, Cooper. Number one, you leave the audience on a high. So half the audience would really enjoy that. And so you leave them on a high. So they're waiting for you to come back. But the other half was, uh, I thought, they may need to dump this. So I need to get to a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, another thing we had, we had a quite a nice uh, boxing day together in Port Macquarie, didn't we? Because you're from Port yes, Macquarie. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah. What was your What was your memories of those nights? Because we were up there with Harry Grant as well. Oh, geez, there's a crew. Yeah, well, I think I caught you on day two. Yep. They say day two is always better than day one. I caught you on day two. Um, one thing that you probably learned about me that day is that I'm the sensible one in my relationship, which is very concerning to most who hear that. Yeah. Um, it, it almost caused uh, a prickly situation for you and your family. With Obviously, we, we, we got quite intoxicated at the uh, Port Macquarie local yes. there. And uh, the missile had, he had a family dinner on for Boxing Day that night. And we were all so drunk. And uh, Miss Isle's partner, Rose, was probably the drunkest woman. <laughs> She's upstairs with Trish at the moment. Yeah. She was probably the drunkest woman in Port Macquarie that night. And uh, they had to go back to the lunch. And apparently, t- you tell what yeah. happened there. Well, so I, I used to, the, the joke between me and my mates when Rose first moved down and started living with me, I used to call her the handbrake. Because she used to slow me down on a big night and say, it's time to go. So we used to go, oh, here comes the handbrake. And then something happened and it's just switched roles to now it'll get to whatever time in the night or morning. And I'm like, please, I've had enough. Like, I'm tapping out. <laughs> anyway, this night we, we come back into to family dinner and uh, my mum's one of nine. Um, cool. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of family um, and not all as close. Like Rose doesn't know them that well. And uh, Rose has come in like a hurricane and she's talking and she's not eating and stuff. And then... <laughs> I'm looking around, I go, I go, where's Rose gone? And I go upstairs, we're in a two-story house. I go upstairs and she's out in the front balcony, which nobody uses. It's like this abandoned balcony. She's out in the front balcony with my 15-year-old cousin bailed up down the end of the balcony going, now listen, if you want to make the A-League one day, this is what you've got to do. Like, <laughs> telling she think, him, thinks he's Frank Farina. <laughs> telling him how to progress his soccer career. And I was just like, what is happening? Um, yeah, she was a cat amongst the pigeons that night. Um, but yes, yeah, so she's good fun now, and she she got on well with um with your other half as well. So yeah, yeah so. now missile as you said, been the headlines a little a lot lately. The enhanced games, as they call it. Um, okay, whose idea was this? Where where did it come from? So the enhanced games, we'd, we I'd heard about about six months prior to this. Um, Aaron D'Souza, the organizer, came on radio when I was on breakfast. And the idea to me seemed a little, um, it seemed impossible at the time because he didn't quite have the backing. It didn't seem serious enough. And I thought, like most, most guys have spoken about in the pub, right? Like you'd love to see athletes just go hell for leather and see what's possible, what's mm. humanly possible. But the the point they were at, I thought, nah, this is, this is not something that's realistic. Six months down the track, the, the other week, I, I was listening to Joe Rogan and sure enough, he starts talking about uh, the Enhanced Olympics. 
And off the back of that, Peter Thiel, billionaire philanthropist comes on and he says, I'm going to back it financially. So now suddenly they've got the exposure, they've got the backing and it sounds a little bit more realistic. So I was talking to one of my mates about it and my mate that I was talking to, he's an ideas man. Mm. And he said, mate, I reckon, he's, you know, I reckon you should do it. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's realistic. He said, no, no. He said, I reckon you should do it. And I said, well, you know, for a million bucks, I'd mm. do it. Mm. And then um, I spoke to my producer at SEN. I said, let's get, uh, let's get Aaron D'Souza on the show on SEN. He said, okay. He reached out. And by this point, the Enhanced Games had kicked on to another level of popularity. So they weren't really doing international media. They're, they're based in London. They weren't really doing much Australian media. So the boys at Hello Sport Podcast, friends of everyone here, reached out and um, they just literally gave me a phone call and said, hey, hey, Miss Isle, we're on the potty, you're live. Uh, have you heard of this Enhanced Games? I said, yep. He said, you know, what do you think of it? I said, well, how about this? For a million dollars, I'd go in the Enhanced Games and break the world record. That was it. Throwaway comment. And you know what I regret? Mm. I said on this bloody podcast, I'd juice to the gills and break the world record. <laughs> Of course, that's the quote. That yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. How a little quick- bit difficult to explain to your mum and dad. Yeah. <laughs> How quickly did they get on to you after you said that on the podcast? Like- so I said that on the Wednesday. They released their podcast on the Thursday. So I kind of forgot about it in that 24 hours. Short Went term, to bed. short memory. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> Trust yeah. me. Went to bed Thursday night. Woke up Friday morning. And I try not to look at my phone when I wake up. And it's pinging, 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 pinging. I was like, ah, oh, better have a look at it. And uh, I've got hundreds of emails, hundreds of messages, missed calls. I'm like, oh no, oh, this no. usually means something bad in my life. <laughs> I've experienced this before for different supplements. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to open a couple of these, see what it is. And sure enough, it's a statement from the Enhanced Game saying, we've put a million dollars US into escrow and it's sitting there waiting for the missile to come on board and break this world record. <laughs> And Rose was in the bathroom. I was like, Rose. She's like, what? And I was like, it's happening. <laughs> this is happening. And from there, just, so it's been New York Times, Washington Post, BBC, wow. Fox oh. News, uh, CNN. Every station in the world has been just smashing my phone all week. They're running stories individually. It's, it's global. It's probably gone as big as any news story I've ever been a part of. And it all came off the back of just that, throwaway comment almost and then i'm seeing back then every article saying uh you know olympian says he'll juice to the gills and break oh, the world record yeah. i was like oh that's oh, not damn. the messaging <laughs> there it is again that's not the messaging i want but uh, as you guys may know that the uh, technology's come so far medicine's come so far we're not in the 80s in you know eastern Bloc countries anymore talking about getting stuff out of the boot of a car and i think for the most part it will be the medical advancements that we've made in the past 15, 20 years will be more about regeneration of the body, the joints uh, being a full, full bill of um, health before I delve into maybe something a bit more performance enhancing. What's that going to look like? You know, I'm not sure, but um, I wish I hadn't said juice to the gills because I want to be very meticulous about it and do it medically, yeah. testing, yeah. offshore. I'm going to have to go to America to do it because it's legal over there, not not legal here. Mm. But um, I'm not going to lie. Now that it's it's here, it's a big opportunity. Mm. It's, yeah, I was going to ask you the carrot for the athletes, but it's financial. 
Yeah. <clears throat> I spoke to an athlete, an athlete inboxed me um, shortly after it. And again, when you say stuff like this, you don't necessarily think, you know, what are the other athletes going to think? What are other, what, what are kids going to think? Mm. All, all the repercussions of it. An athlete uh, messaged me and said, you know, not long ago, I broke a, a world record in swimming and I got $10,000. And uh, they said, you know, never did I think that swimmers would be racing for a million US dollars. So he said, uh, you know, I hope this works out because potentially this could be something in my future. Um, well, was, it was the big discussion for a long time, Missile, like, you know, right through from probably when Ben Johnson got done. Mm. Going forward, people said, you know, first argument was, why don't they just let just free for all go? And yeah. people shot that down pretty quick and other people said what if there was a games where people could take substances which were banned yeah and everyone was like wow well, well it's taken a while but here we are um you know and i've heard some of the the you know the commentary and some of the comments around stuff and <clears throat> there's blokes saying oh you know there was one footballer saying well what about bush footballers and that and you go Okay, my, probably uh, probably I've heard my, that. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. My 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 probably main question is like, say, your partner Rose, mm. like, you know, what was her reaction? Yeah, so I think it's pretty front center for us is health because I'm 32 years of age. I haven't had kids yet, and I'm at that age where you know we're thinking about a family and that kind of stuff. So, and um, fertility, I think, can be an issue in that in that world so that was the first thought is can this be done safely and and you know we've spoken to the organizers we've spoken to their doctors the people on their side about can this actually be done safely or is this mm. you know all just smoke and mirrors and, and and they remain adamant that it can be done safely i may have to do something before it gets too serious of, of freezing some sperm or mm. but the thing is and um I've tried to explain to, to people close to me is, you know, there's opportunities that present themselves in life that can be life-changing, not only for you, but for your family. And I'm at that age now where I'm talking about, you know, having a family at some point in the not too distant future. This could set them up mm. for, you know, the, the long term. And, and it's not just a million dollars US, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. There's, there's a lot of things in the in play and i i think based off the reaction that this got worldwide it's going to garner a lot of interest between now and when it actually happens well uh, just off if you do need a sperm donor uh, missile i'm happy to I'll lend you say some, some good oh, they're gonna say me and say mate i'll tell you <laughs> little secret mate i'll make shooting blanks these yeah, days don't, i don't think you, actually, want, you don't want his sperm look what it turned please, me into anyway. I, no i was gonna say is i was actually shooting blanks after jack was born but you were this miracle it's amazing <laughs> i had a vasectomy and you. <laughs> but uh with with the safe, when you chatter to their doctors, what's the safest way to use performance enhancing drugs? Is it like a micro dosing sort of thing, or is it? Well, I think the, the first point of call for me will be getting my body right. So it'll be things like stem cells, um, potentially some sort of peptides or something to get my body back to basically what it was as a, you know, an athlete in my twenties. Yeah. Take away any niggles, any lingering, you know, pain, aches and pains that all athletes have post-career. Get my body back to a full bill of health. And then the main thing will be constant tests on, you know, my bloods, 
my hormone levels, my organs, how's my liver ha- liver handling it, how's mm. my kidneys handling it. Constant monitoring of what is my body able to handle and remain at a safe level. And if at any point those metrics are out, then we're done. We, we stop there. Mm. Yeah, because it's a lot of money. It's it's a huge opportunity, but nothing is worth more than, than your health. Okay, missile and it's funny there's certain sports that are really linked even though they're obtusely different and one of the ones i look at is boxers and swim sprinters 50 meters 100 meters they're that same animal and you know boxers talk up and say i'm gonna do that i'm gonna shock the world will you break the 50 meter yeah record you know i had i had this conversation with my dad and he goes what if what if you don't break the world record i said dad Honestly, I would not be where I am today if at any point, at any given point during my younger life and career, I doubted myself mm. whether I could do something. I talk to kids all the time when I do you know, swim clinics and the like. My message is always the same. I never won a race in my life that I didn't think that I was going to win going into it. Part of that was convincing yourself in the lead up. Yeah, I'm the best. I'm the fastest man in the world, which is a hard thing to get your head around, right? Mm-hmm. You know, little kid from Paul Macquarie and you're going, no, I am the fastest man in history. I am. I, you know, this is, this is where I belong. And the moment that uh, I heard the million dollars accepted, I went straight back into, yeah, I can you're do back that. There. I yeah. went for a swim this week. Um, back in the ring. Back in the ring. Went for a swim. With the thought in the back of my mind, again, of I want to be the fastest man in history. Jeez, it felt good to do that again. <laughs> well, okay, I'll ask you that, Miss Sol. So to do, you know, all, all the other stuff, the enhancement, to go through all those medical tests, and that's one thing. Mm. But to put your head back in the bucket again yeah. and train. Yeah. Well, that, that That's a big commitment. It is. Again. It is. I don't know if I speak for all athletes, but everyone in this room will be able to give me feedback. I, I still regularly have dreams where I'm in front of a big crowd or I'm either mid-race or just finished a race, just in a big moment again. And every time I wake up, I've got this big smile on my face and I get the jitters and then you go, oh, back to normal life. And I don't know if that's something still burning inside me that, that expires in life. Cooper, do you have those dreams? <laughs> Billy Ammer kick out running out the top of you. <laughs> and you wake up with a big smile and say, thank God, it's only about nine here. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I don't have any of those dreams anymore. I definitely don't have dreams about playing in front of a big crowd and owning a big moment because I've never done it. I've never done it. You know the two dreams? I, I, I don't know if, um, if, if people that haven't, um, had similar pursuits, have them. But two dreams I have. One is, you know, I haven't done my homework and I've got something due at school and I wake up and oh. I'm sort of panicking like, oh, I haven't yeah. done my homework. And then the other one is I wake up and I think I'm about to race or mid-race or preparing for a big race. And one, I feel relieved when I wake up and the other one, I feel disappointed like, mm. oh. yeah, I, I get the mad, I still will wake up sometimes thinking I'm still uh, playing footy and I'm late for training. And yeah. then it's the worst anxiety I, in the world. Like I, I have the one where like, I can't find my boots because I was really fastidious. Yeah, with it, yeah, yeah. And I'm s- searching around or I can't find my shorts. Yeah. And yeah. That's yeah. Not, I get, I get actually, broken sorry, goggles. Sorry, that's not a big dream. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night and yeah. say, yeah. yeah. Hey, when you talk about you went back in the pool, how far off the fastest time you've ever swam, how far off that are you now? Well, I didn't time myself because I didn't have the coach there or anything like that. But I, I felt... 
I felt good physically because I've had a bit of time out of the pool. So you do those those niggles and things from the repetitive nature of swimming. Swimming is a super repetitive sport. Like yeah. if you counted shoulder rotations in my life, it'd be a silly number. Um, so the body felt good. I felt fast. I swam with another guy who is swimming currently. And it was good to compare myself to him. Yeah. Better? Um, I don't want to I don't want to throw me under the bus. Um, the smile tells a different story. <laughs> <laughs> but short dis short distances, Cooper. So like when I, I raced, I was a hundred meter swimmer. I've I haven't trained for fifty meters in my life because a hundred was a blue ribbon event. Everyone wants to be a hundred freestyle, and from there you find if you're not good at that, you do something else. That was always my event. And yeah. the coaches were constantly saying to me, back off the weights, we don't want you to get too big for the hundred, we don't want too much power. You know, you need to have an aerobic base. So I would be swimming 80 kilometers a week in preseason to build up the aerobic base to swim for a minute. All of that when you go from 47 seconds for the uh, the 100 back to 20 seconds for the 50, it's all gone out the window. No aerobic, pure power, size not an issue because there's less of a buoyancy because you're not going to fatigue as much. So now it's just an expression of how powerful can you get outside of the pool and how can you express that in the water with what, perfect technique what is the world record right now for 50 20.91 do you know what you the fastest time you've ever clocked in 20 21.5 so 0.58 off yeah 0.59 off um and the other kicker with this enhanced games because it's enhanced i, I said to the organizers we have to compare apples with apples mm-hmm. So the world record was broken in the big shiny super suits back in 2009 and it's taken 15 years still a lot of those freestyle records still stand today because the suits were just amazing yeah, slipstreaming so i said if i'm going to break this world record and be the fastest man in history i want the same technology that they had in 2009 so that super suit i've never raced in before but i know what it did for the athletes at that time and i've raced those same athletes without the suit and I was faster than them without the suit. Mm. So I've got that. Um, You've got me considering. Up my sleeve as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maggie, he, his question. This is a, I, I imagine the Olympics, the Olympic Committee would be really nervous about this. Mm. And they will come out and say, oh, this is outrageous and everything. All yep. that sort of They probably yep. already have, right? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Let's look at There's five disciplines they're doing with the enhanced games it's uh let me have a check it yeah swimming track and field weightlifting gymnastics and combat sports let's say for instance right let's go track and field the premier event of the olympics the 100 meter sprint mm. and someone comes out and runs 9.5 someone turns up the paris olympics and runs 9.85 there's a risk going forward that people will look at the olympics and go ho-hum yeah yeah and that was the, the messaging I tried to get across when I first announced this was by no means is my participation in it trying to take away from the Olympics. What can this games become? The world's its oyster. The same as what's happened with Live Golf and the PGA. I'm hoping in some instances, maybe, you know, all boats rise with the tide and that the Olympics starts going, well, we need to pay our athletes. Because at the yeah, moment, right, gotcha. Olympic athletes aren't paid to go to the Olympics. Gold medals pay, silver and bronze, bronze not so much. Yeah, and even those... even records as well. Mm. So why is that? 
it's almost seen as a privilege, right, to represent your country at the Olympic Games. For example, we, we don't get a we don't get a salary from the Olympic Committee to fly to Paris and spend, you know, five weeks there training, preparing and then competing. There is no Olympic salary. Whereas the Enhanced Games came out straight away and said, we'll give all our athletes a salary. We'll pay for their, their training and their facilities and stuff. And we, we think that that needs to be acknowledged as professional athletes. The other thing, Cooper, is that the Olympic Games were always an, an amateur games, which part of that was, yeah. and, and, you know, there was times when basketballers or, or football players, soccer players and stuff couldn't play in the Olympics because it was an amateur games. So they weren't allowed to be professional athletes. Um, we're, we're so far past the world of amateur sport. You know, it's big, big, big money. 90, 92 it all changed. Not, uh, Seoul Olympics were the last amateur one. 92 in Barcelona was a huge game. Professional athletes could compete, hence the dream team with the NBA. Mm. Made a big difference. <clears throat> okay, a question for you, Missile. And if you've got a lawyer here, they'll say you're leading the witness. Do you think you can break, like I'm not going to say your sport, let's have a discussion here. Do you think a person this day and age can break the 100 metre track and field record in the sprint without enhancement? Well, they're not close right now. They're not close, but you just need that generational talent again. Yeah. The problem at the moment, I think, with that 100 metre time is the generational talents right now coming from the biggest population base uh, playing in the NFL, yep. the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, such big money in those events that if you're a young, um, a young kid in America and you're running sub 11 seconds in high school and you have the choice to go to the NFL for millions of dollars or to the Olympics, which I just told you doesn't have a salary, maybe you're trying to change the circumstances for your family or for you know you, your, yourself. Well, do you think about prestige? You can be playing a wide receiver in the Kansas City Chiefs and win a Super Bowl and be getting something like 157 million. Don't tell or you can endorse exactly, or Trish Jones, <laughs> um, and you can de or you can dedicate four years of your life to maybe winning an Olympic medal, provided you feel perfect on the day. Yeah, so much comes like the Olympics is so, and that's why. I still put the Olympics as the pinnacle of sport, de definitely in my arena. The, the World Cup in soccer now is probably mm. superseded as the most watched, the most anticipated event. But it's such a pinnacle of sport that you have to feel perfect on that day, on that night, against every other person in the world to, to be the fastest in the planet. How do you do that missile? Because... There's certain things of preparation. When you go out and play football, sometimes the ball's just not hitting your hands yeah. like normally. If you're a cricketer, sometimes you go out there and they look like watermelons. Other times, they look like peas. Mm. What got you in the sweet spot? I remember a couple of times on big events, and this will rattle you, is I woke up on the morning of like a world championship final, Olympic final, and just thought, ah, I feel like shit today. A bit of a headache. just feel like shit. And you go, ooh. It's probably the most important day of my life and you, you have to turn it around mentally. So most of it is um, mental resilience and toughness and getting yourself back in that headspace. But um, that's the, the most difficult thing about swimming is you, your form ebb, ebbs and flows. The same as during an NRL season, you have good patches, you have bad patches. The players we always remember are the ones that have those good patches leading into the finals. Your Caelan Pongers, your Jared Haynes, your Nathan Clearys, they seem to hit a 
a, a good patch of form at the right time of the year. We don't remember the guys who in round zero to 10 were absolutely braining it. Ooh. Like last year, Latrell yeah. Mitchell, round zero to 10, you're going, this, yeah. this is south. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, yeah. Kalen Ponga hits his blue patch between round 15 to 24. And all I remember last year is Kalen Ponga. Ponga. Yeah. Given the first half of the year, people were saying, you know, his career's hanging by a thread with all the concussions and suddenly he catches fire. And Even the bloke that won like the best player in the preseason games last year and then <laughs> no one remembers that. Unbelievable. Did you get a share in the prize money? I've, still, I've got a medal in my room. A medal? I can go and get it for you. <laughs> you want, I don't want to take away from the podcast. Hey, uh, your experiences in past Olympics, mm. do you think there were people juicing at those Olympic yep. games? Do you yep. know for 100%. a fact? 100%. Yep. Some of those people's names got released in Icarus in the documentary. At the end, they, they released the list of names. People in that list of names, I raced. And beat. People in that list of names, uh, we got fourth in the in the relay in London. And uh, a team from another country medaled above us. And athletes from that country were named in that Icarus documentary. What do they do with that? Do they strip the medals? It depends on when those athletes were caught, when they, when they, you know, tested their B samples, all that sort of stuff. We we didn't get medals for that. No, it's a it's a very gray area, because let's say let's say you know in two thousand and fourteen, I tested positive for something. Do they then go and say we presume that he was cheating in London, so we we'll take his medal off him and give it to the third place? Well, yeah. there's no real way of knowing. Everyone suspects that if you got caught, then you're probably doing it at your peak. But it's very hard to, to put it on uh, on a timeline. What about the current? What about is the would that have changed? Like, is the has the testing ramped up since those times, or is the testing still the same? Like the testing has always been insane. So during the London Olympics, I was there for three weeks, um, and I had to do what was called a blood passport. Mm. So every morning, the doctor would take me to the medical center, and I'd give blood. And they tested my blood and urine every single day I was there, 21 days straight, to make sure there was no abnormalities on any given day. I'm talking like 100 freestyle night, you know, the, the race happens, I'm up till midnight sort of digesting that, 7 a.m., knock on the door from the doctor, we got to go and give you blood sample. Yeah. What, that's that's yeah, how... Yeah, they said good news and bad news. Good news is you've uh, negative for performance enhancing, the bad news you've got syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> what, what stops people juicing outside of that period then like say for that's the hard part is there no testing there because they don't know who's going to compete in the next Olympic games type of thing correct mm. correct the hard part is not all countries test their athletes um the same so australia most athletes that you'll see test positive or get banned will be done by asada which is the australian sports anti-doping authority we put taxpayer money to test our own athletes, catch them, and then ban them, and then put them in front of a press conference saying this person's a cheat, which when you think about it is an unusual mm. process, right? Whereas other countries, and again, on documentaries, it's been shown that they have yeah. state-run doping programs to find the best ways to avoid being caught. Not only are they not testing their own athletes, they're not putting funding into testing their own athletes they're putting funding into avoiding testing and beating testing well there's been very much an age-old philosophy with you know like national uh, like um, nationalism 
through sport you can build that. Mm. You know, it's very important for some countries. I mean, we're talking about East Germany before. How yeah. important it was for East Germany to, to almost you know say that we we had the super athletes, yeah, and just costing people their lives, just ruthlessly doing. Um, let's talk about your Olympic experiences. And I, look, and everyone knows your story, Miss Olive. I don't want to talk about golds versus silvers. Let's talk about stuff that people don't know about. Yeah. First question. The Olympic Village. Um, the myth and the truth. They say that it's basically root fest. Is that the case? Uh, and the, where is the... We're going to let throw the shop. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think there is aspects of that that are true. Um, when you put that many young athletic people in one um, village, things happen. The funniest one I saw in a village was actually... Um, at a Commonwealth Games. So the, the Commonwealth Games in Delhi had a nightclub in the vill- in the village. Oh, there we go. So I was 18 when I went to Delhi. This is my first Australian team. It was a ranked place, Delhi. Shocker. And uh, I come in the village. It's night one. And uh, the opening ceremony is the following night. So competition hasn't started. And I walk past the nightclub. And the nightclub is pumping. And it's packed with all these people from the African nations. Off their heads... One hand, they've got like junk food, like Maccas or whatever fast food was in the village. The other hand, they're sculling drinks because there's free drinks in this nightclub and just going for it. Because sure it wasn't a rugby league man bun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've never seen it before. They haven't, they haven't, the, these countries don't have access to, no such thing as an Af- oh, a, 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 um, a nightclub or an athlete's village in some parts of Africa. So forget about the competition aspect. That's That's a secondary thing. So there's people in an Olympic village that from day one are partying and rooting around. Yeah, but for, that's that's the hard thing to disassociate. When you, you get into a village and it's like, it's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for an adult, right? Mm. You walk in and there's athletes of all shapes and sizes. There's so many crazy things in there like, you know, massive food halls, McDonald's. There's all these vending machines anywhere, everywhere. And the biggest sponsors are like, Cadbury, Coca-Cola. So there's vending machines with all the sweets and lollies and Gatorades and Cokes and everything you can Isn't imagine. bizarre? Everything pre- free. So it's all free. Everything, everything in the village is free. Like cra- that, there's, a, there's a Beats by Dre um, stall in there and you go in and say, I want this color Beats. They just give you free Beats by Dre. Like everything in there was free. Con- and is it true, the condoms as well? Yeah, like, they're just, they're handing out condoms Jimmy's. like they're going out. Yeah, yeah I've yeah, heard yeah, that yeah. as well. Jimmy's. Yeah. Yeah, they reckon it's an astronomical number of condoms that they go through during the games. Mm. But you walk in there and there's so many distractions and it's such a crazy place and potentially such a fun place. But you're like, right, I've got, I've got a mission here. I'm trying to compete and be serious. And, you know, and for most other big competitions you go to, you'll stay in a five-star hotel, you'll have a nice bed, you'll be well-rested team bus which is quiet and nice then you get to an olympic village and it's just bedlam it's noisy it's loud it's smelly there's athletes running there's boxes shadow boxing in the street it's just bedlam what a a test of your mental toughness yeah 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 and then you you get on the bus all of a sudden you sit down and sitting across the row from you is your biggest competitor that night and so you're sort of you know trying to ignore this person and then you get back to your room and you're staying in this shitty little single bed with another person sleeping in the room next to you, snoring or something. It's just madness, complete madness. And you have to try and 
wade through all of those distractions to get your best performance on the most important day of your life. Imagine how hard that would be your first Olympics, putting it together. Talk about the food hall, the mess hall. Yeah. I was talking to an Olympian, I don't know if it was Seoul or LA, and they said everyone's sitting there and it's the politics of basically the Olympic Village and all of a sudden the great 400 metre herd like Edward Moses walked in and the whole place just went, it's Edward Moses. And he walked in as he ran, so ultra smooth. And he walked in. Everyone's going, it's Edward Moses. This is incredible. And yeah. he went and got some soup, sat down, every eyeball in the place is watching him. And he got the soup and spilt the soup on himself. <laughs> Actually, he's human. <laughs> yeah. What? I, I came through in this really like crazy era of athletes. So we had those same sort of moments in, in a, a food hall where a food hall, just for reference, is probably the best part i'd say one and a half football fields it's huge every cuisine from every country in the world in that bay marie all you can eat plus sweets plus everything plus a maccas with 20 counters everything free sizzler and steroids it's insane who's the in that village we had uh michael phelps usain bolt novak Djokovic, roger federer and rafael nadal lebron james kevin durant Kobe Bryant, Serena Williams. Wow. These are people you're seeing every single day. Did you get to chat with any of them? Chatted to Rafael Nadal. Um, chatted to Serena Williams. We met most of the dream team. Um, we were doing a staging camp in Manchester and they were all staying at our hotel. Um, we had Kobe Bryant like coming down to training and watching us swim and stuff. It was pretty cool. Um, so that was very surreal and that you talk about generational athletes. We ended up with about eight all of that games. Now you're looking at these games in Paris and you go, who are, who are those people now? Who are the mega, yeah. who are the mega stars? And I mean, if Novak doesn't go. Because you're right. The amateur sport these days, like the, the you think about the, you know, the, um, you know, the tennis circuit and some of these other sports. It is so intense. There's so much that they have to do. To, in their minds to go, you know, do I have to go to the Olympics mm. You know, for to win a medal? Yeah. It's a pretty big sacrifice, pretty amazing those like a Serena Williams went there. And to put themselves in that environment. So I remember in Rio, I was walking to the food hall and in the village there are some facilities, but Rio, they went like a little bit more party atmosphere. So it was like each, <laughs> each big building had a pool, which of course, once we're finished competing, yeah. The pool in. turned into basically a laxer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it had a pool, but it also had like some social tennis courts in the middle. And I was walking late one afternoon to the food hall, and Novak's hitting on this court with his hitting partner, and just stood there and watched, like from me to you away, watched Novak just hitting a couple of hundred balls full speed just on the way to the food hall. You know, he's just in the middle of the village living like a normal bloke. Do those do those big stars have like security or anything with them? You guys keep going. No. I'm just going to get a loo for a second. Just keep going. It's fine. You, okay. I'll hit you blokes. <laughs> That's fine. Just a, keep going. What a weird thing to do. What, what about the loosest nation? Australia has a, a, a big reputation in an Olympic village for... Back in two. Two. <laughs> They have a big reputation for the the second week for the party section yeah. of the Olympic Games. So um, I would say they're the ones with the reputation. Yeah, okay. Sorry, it's very distracting, Matthew, just walking straight out of the thing. All right, why don't you 
What about the Australian swimming team? What is there? What's the politics of your Aussies? Because who, who, especially the relay, who did you swim in the relay with? Uh, so at our peak, it was uh, Eamon Sullivan. Um, when we won the world champs, it was Eamon Sullivan, uh, Matthew Target, and Matthew Abood. So those three were probably late twenties, and I was nineteen. Yeah. But I was the fastest one in the team, so that's weird politics, right? When you got, are you the, is the fastest one usually the anchor? Well, it's in some ways it's up to the fastest swimmer where they want to swim. Okay. So as a younger kid, I used to swim as the the anchor, and um, loved it. But then when I reached my peak, I felt it was my responsibility as the fastest swimmer in the team to lead off to try and give my team a lead and get clean water. And the anchor role is, is gets the accolades in the end, right? Like Ian Thorpe in Sydney Olympics get, gets all the accolades for that Olympics. But Michael Klim broke the world record in the leadoff. And if Australia isn't leading throughout that race, then the other three swimmers probably don't swim out of their skin and end up winning that gold medal. So when I was at my peak, uh, I took the responsibility personally of leading off the relay team to try and put us um in the lead from the start so we, we had clear water for the rest of the swimmers sorry for the unprofessional how'd you go with your piss matthew gotta get that prostate checked <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, is, is there a memory sorry is there a memory of the olympics that you haven't already said that stands out above the most that you cherish that i cherish oh look the the second week in london was something else it, it really was um namely um uh, you know shout out aoc if they're listening but uh, i had a mate playing football in oldham at the time uh, great town oldham. don't know what the team are called in oldham uh, oldham athletic yeah he spent two years there living and working and playing in, in oldham and it just lined up with the olympics i said mate come down to london and he uh he was my best mate from school, and but he missed this little quick meteoric rise from, say, when we finished school to now I'm at the London Olympics. And uh, he comes he comes down to London, and I said, mate, you know, where do you want to go tonight? He said, oh, I don't know, let's just go out, see where people are going. And me and him and a couple of the other swimmers went to this nightclub, and uh, there's, there's all photographers, you know, waiting outside the nightclub, clicking photos, and he goes, what are they there for? And I said, oh, you know, they're taking photos of us. And he goes, what? And I go, yeah, yeah, and we go inside. And they take us to a booth and uh, they bring out all these big bottles and, you know, sparkling bottles and champagne and stuff. And we're, and we're going nuts. And he's sitting there really quietly just in the corner. I'm like, mate, what are you doing? He goes, well, am I allowed to have any of these drinks? <laughs> okay, mate. He's like, I was like, this is the world we're living in now. Let's Dude, go. you're with the missile. <laughs> um, but I ended up, I, so I met a drunk Canadian guy in the train uh, in the train station that night I said oh you look a bit like my mate I said can I just borrow your accreditation he said yeah yeah no worries I got my mate and I actually snuck him into the Olympic Village he spent a night in the Olympic <laughs> Village that is so he went through the food hall like we went trekking through the village like to different countries and stuff like did the full experience um, kind of forgot about the Canadian guy I don't know whatever happened to him because it was super hard if he didn't have accreditation <laughs> to get anywhere so I hope, hope he's alright 
But um, <laughs> what I didn't realise the next died. morning, I'm sorry. We must have we <laughs> must got, have been going. He got up. eaten by a bear in <laughs> Canada. <laughs> we went nuts that night. We're, we're having a good time. And then he wakes up in the morning and he's lost the Canadian guy's accreditation. Oh no! <laughs> and what he didn't realise is you need that same accreditation to get back out. So he wakes up. He's like, "Mate, I gotta go." I was like, "Yeah." So so yeah, goes to leave and they detain him. And this is this was 2012. You know, terrorist threat was huge. They detain him. They're like strip searching him. How did you get in the village? No, it's definitely not possible without accreditation. We're going to ring the Australian consulate and just find oh. out. And he's going, no, 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 don't ring. <laughs> he's going, don't ring the consulate. <laughs> I don't know how he got out. Yeah. He ended up getting out. Ring but, Oldham um, Athletic. Yeah. Oldham Athletic. This is uh, the uh, London uh, tourist squad. Yeah, know, mate. What's going on? <laughs> but he always jokes. He said he should get a uh, get an Olympic tattoo as well because uh, oh, he, he is part so of it. <laughs> Miss also Okay, off the Olympics. Well, firstly, just quickly, what what was more fun, London or Rio? Um, London was more fun. Um, an English-speaking country, a country that probably could afford to do the games justice. Rio just felt like they weren't quite ready. Yes, okay. Because they were doubling up. They had the they had Olympics and the, uh, the World Cup, football World Cup. Of course, people rioting in the streets, corruption rife. Yeah. Okay, uh, right off the Olympics, I reckon. Anyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s in Australia that watched movies like Animal House and all those college films mm. would love to go to America and have an American college lifestyle. You went to college in America. How much fun? Yeah, well, I did a couple of trips. So we did um, we did Boulder in Colorado, which is CU, which are big in the football right now. The funnest one was probably... Um, Alabama. We went down to Auburn University, wow. which is a huge football school. And surprisingly, and I'm thinking that's probably where I'm going to have to go to do this next project because it's got all the facilities. You can't believe the facilities until you see them. The, the pools, the gyms, the the testing, the, the labs, the, it's out of control. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun, um, very distracting for, for an Australian athlete. Um, I had a few opportunities to basically uh, move there and live for extended periods if if I wanted to at certain times, but it was, I think with my personality, it was potentially too risky. Yeah, right. That uh, I get led astray. Is the American um, stereotype that we see in films, college lifestyle, is that? Oh, there's certainly an aspect of it, particularly the, um, like the uh, the frat houses and stuff. Those mm. guys yeah. are those yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you have a lot of big parties there? But, uh, we 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 dabbled. The, we were always uh, so at, at our peak. Um, we had, we had a really fun squad. We had about uh, about ten blokes in a uh, in a swim team. We're all between say eighteen and twenty two. Mm-hmm probably average height of six foot four so if we all walked into a party together we stood out like dogs balls and we're all swimming super fast we're all single and we all enjoyed a good time Mm. and it kind of just happened and this was probably off the back of the, the golden era of swimming where it was almost like if you were swimming fast enough then we'll take care of the other stuff okay yeah so when we were going away on trips and stuff we're we're often getting in trouble but everything was being buried really well or, you know, not not buried, but nothing was ever coming out. And um, 
but that was just at the very start of of social media the very start and and i remember i think i got instagram like a week before the london olympics so that's the sort of time frame so before that no instagram facebook is more about posting um comments about what you've done that day like really lame yeah. shit yeah. and so the photos weren't photos weren't a big part of social media it was msn it was myspace it was facebook and it was all words not photos so yeah. no one was going around at parties taking photos of people and if you went out, people would come up to you and ask you to sign stuff. Now, if you go out, all people want is frigging selfies, mm. which is so annoying. But it used to be when you go out, everyone wants you to sign something. And so you could kind of get away with anything. Missile, finally, before we move on to some insights, I want to ask you something. Superstitions I used to carry around basically like you know, uh, one bag of luggage and ended mm. up I was covered in these superstitions. Um and they actually become more of a distraction than yeah. anything else. They're yeah. a very strange thing. Yeah. I believe that you swam on the relay with a guy who had a rather strange superstition. Uh, I'll lead you, I'll lead the witness by saying this. Um, it rings a bell. When you see the movie, there's something about Mary and Woogie says to Boom Stiller's <laughs> character, you're not going out with a loaded gun. I believe this guy would not swim with a loaded gun. So this guy uh, made, an, made a final at an Olympic Games one year and was doing his warm-up for this final at the olympic games and he just said to the coach i'm i'm too nervous um i can't do it basically you know the 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 aura of the event got the better of him and it does but right before you swim an olympic race it it's you hear the crowd above you you understand what's about to happen it's a very overwhelming experience and he just said i, I can't do it the coach said go away forget about this warm-up hop out of the water go away you know get changed put your suit on just calm down come back and then we'll reassess yep no worries so he goes away he dries off he goes to the bathroom he gets to the bathroom and he just thinks what can i do to ease the tension here and somehow amidst this crazy scenario he decides to relieve himself uh rub the thumb over it yes uh masturbate is that masturbate. what you guys are talking yeah, about yes yeah. oh, spell it straight out <laughs> Right before the Olympic final. Anyway, it calms him down somewhat. He gets his suit on. He goes back to these coach. They talk through it. He goes out that night and he wins a bronze medal in the Olympic final against all odds. Now, this guy then has this superstition (laughs) that every time he races, he needs to do the same thing that won him that bronze medal at that Olympic Games. Shake hands with the unemployed. Tear the ears off it. We're in Delhi and these toilets are rank. They stink. There's there's no, like there's no, he used to be able to sort of, he used to be able to really sniff out a disabled toilet, like a nice quiet spot so where he speak. could get away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but in Delhi, none of that. The stalls have got these big gaps top and bottom. Oh no. <laughs> and they're disgusting. I don't think the plumbing really worked. And uh, we're, we're, you know, we're about to go out for the relay. So I'm like, where is this guy? He's like, oh, he's, you know, he's doing his thing. And, <laughs> and towards the end of the, his career, you know what? I reckon it got the better of him because it, he became so fixated on it. And the more, the bigger the event and the more the pressure, as you can imagine, the harder it would be to perform before the race under those conditions. How is he doing it? Just yeah. so I can are we visualize talk, Are we talking People magazine, yeah. picture, skin magazine? Vi- are we talking like analog, so like back phones? So to, back, to, um, back to when he would have been swimming originally, 
there would have been no mobile data back in those days. Oh, oh God. So he's going off memory the alone. The old memory. Jeez, it's the best way to do it. If by the end of the career, it. I reckon, reckon. By the end of his career, I reckon phones would have been possible. What he could have been. But yeah. <laughs> could have won gold. Could have broke the world record. But I, I think that's one of the greatest feats of, uh, of human <laughs> perseverance that he was able... You can just imagine, like, he... It would have been holed up in there. You would hear the crowd chanting and like the, the warm-up area would shut up when the crowd would sort of chant for a race. And he's just in there getting to business. On blocks number three, Michael Klim. Wouldn't you love to be the bloke next to him doing a nervous shit for you? What the hell is that? You (laughs) got to be careful putting the old speedos back on, get up, and you got basic international audience and you're waving around. What is that, Denny Stain? Before we go into insights, one more thing. You've been ripping into your media work, you've been loving Mm. doing the radio uh, stuff that you've been doing. Mm. Where, what do you want to get out of that? Where do you see yourself taking that? Mate, it's a good question. Um, I think throughout my whole career, the one thing that has always served me well, but has always got me into a lot of trouble is that I'm a pretty straight shooter. Mm -hmm. I kind of call things how I see them and not many people wonder, um, you know, either what I'm thinking or or where they, where they stand in my life. And, And I think that's served me well in my job now in the media um i I really enjoy it um it's one of the few things that gives me when they say you're live on air it gives you that spark again of performance of rush uh of pressure of bit of nervous energy and and i love it i I do love it and where that takes me i'm not sure you know I, i feel like i'm cutting my teeth a bit in the in the media world still a bit at the moment um i was hey, something you're doing doing awesome me and flesh talk about it i go uh flesh goes you have been listening to the missile i went yeah he goes fucking how loose is it? i said yes i know I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it yeah and that's where i'm still trying to find uh, you know it's it's hard as a younger guy to understand where you fit in that picture my my earliest passion was always rugby league um, and I feel so comfortable around other rugby league players and in the rugby league world. That's kind of the world I grew up in a bit more so than the more polished world of swimming. So sometimes when I tell stories or I speak openly or honestly, people go, is that the swimmer? Is that the guy that's a swimmer? Because when I was a swimmer, you had to be... For whatever reason, they seem to be held to a different standard or professionalism. Yeah, and you know, it's always what about the kids? You know, the mm. first thing that happened when this enhanced games thing, everyone's saying, "What about the kids?" Oh, kids like, be fine. Fuck, <laughs> I'm thirty-two years old now. Like, am I just a role model for kids for my whole life? Like, at some point, can I just live normally? I, just I, I don't let know. loose, let the training wheels off. But but people often say they're like, "Fucking missile is," uh, you know. Isn't that the, the guy that was the swimmer? But mm. I grew up in, you know, my dad played rugby league. His brothers played rugby league. Um, I feel very comfortable in that world. All my best mates played rugby league. So I feel very comfortable in that world. But I'm in this weird position, right, where I'm in the media and I'm not an ex-player. So I can't necessarily give expert analysis from having been there and done it. Mm. I'm sure I watch as many games as everybody else and have my own, you know, I, I, I played my whole life. So I, I do have opinions on things. But... Um, I think finding my place in that world 
mm. of um, rugby league where I feel so comfortable. With Missile, okay, for you, and might not be about you know, everything tactically, but you've competed at the top level and oils are oils. Mm. You know what I mean? The same mentality, you know, how you prepare, uh, handling mental toughness, all those things cross over. Yeah. Yeah, you got a good insight. Menu of questions here for our listeners to understand what makes the missile tick. Uh-oh. First thing, if you could be any athlete of all time, who would you pick? Of all time. I'll probably go, you know what? I'll go combat sports because I think the pressure and expectation on a fighter when he walks out to the ring or the cage on his own mm. is is another level to anything you can experience in any sport because not only are you going out there to compete but you're going out there to try and kill or be killed mm. so i'm going to go mike tyson at his peak that's and that's it's funny like doing that link i just thought it like swimming and boxing when you stand on the blocks or when you climb through the ropes if you have a bad day and you're a little bit off Mm. then it's you. In rugby league, you're one part of 13. You can go out there and be off. Yeah. And you go, I can get away with this. I'll just feed the ball early. I'll just make my tackles. That's fine. Yeah. But with you guys, it's completely different. Yeah. I've remembered a couple of times in my career where you're about to go out for a huge race. And the, the 100 freestyles is one where everyone sort of... Uh, all the support staff empty out of the, the warm-up area to go and watch it in the stands. They all want to get a good position for it. So it becomes very quiet. There's barely anyone around. But you could cut the tension with a knife. It's just this is the race. It's coming up now. And uh, I remember once, you know, my coach or something talking to me about, you know, you've got to go out. You've got to do this. You've got to put aside all the distractions. You're just thinking, sitting there thinking, well, it's good enough for you to say, but I'm about to, <laughs> yes. you know, I'm about to walk out into a shitstorm here. Like, I'm I'm kind of listening to you, but I'm also processing this myself because this mm. is well, you can't exactly hold my hand while well, we walk out there. It's like when Mickey said to Rocky when Ivan Drago's walking out, he said, "Don't be scared." And he goes, "Would you be?" And he goes, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> would you ever fight while you're juiced up to the gills? <laughs> because it's a, it's a perfect chance right now to make another headline if you want to call someone out. Uh, it's not something I've thought about. Um, Can if, you box? If it was, I haven't spent a lot of time doing it. Okay. If it was another, I, I think it would only really be relevant if it was another big name swimmer. Yeah, right. I, I don't think anyone wants to see me fight a retired football player, for example, because what's the relevance of it, right? Mm. But if we got another big name swimmer, even an international or runner, swimmer, swimming versus running. Yeah. Usain Bolt, Michael Phelps, maybe they're on Floyd the- Mayweather <laughs> versus the missile. <laughs> Money okay. versus missile. <laughs> What's your favourite movie of all time, Missile? Super bad. Oh, oh great pick. Lovin' McLovin. Yeah. That is every time I watch Bill Hader, that it is such a great Seth Rogue, such a great <laughs> cast. If you got a favourite scene? Oh, probably the scene where he comes back with his ID. Yeah. <laughs> like Muhammad? Why is yeah. it just Muhammad? It's the most common it's the most common name in the world. Gosh, read a book. <laughs> You're an organ donor from Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, that was that was my favourite movie growing up. Uh, those it. cops are bad guys, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> just letting some know. Those cops. Cops are good guys. Cops are tops. Just those guys in the movie. Great save. <laughs> what about your favorite song of all time? Oh, favorite song. Well, um, I used to listen to more sort of like rap or hip hop before I swam because it would have that 
even um, keel of pumping you up a bit, but also not too much. Because if you listen to dance music or something upbeat, it's a little bit fever pitch and then your heart rate gets going. So I was always a 50 cent guy. Oh, okay. my, my favorite Super Bowl year was when they brought out 50 Cent, Dr. Oh, Dre, so Eminem, fine. Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Like, 2021. Oh. Although 50 Cent's more like $5.50. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bit bigger. Yeah. So I have to go, I'll, I have to go in, in the club by 50 Cent. Okay. Who doesn't love a cheeseburger? Yeah. Inflation. <laughs> You've done a lot of traveling in your time. Can you give us your best and worst accent? My best and worst accent. You're, sorry, not your personal Your favorite. Your favorite accent? Oh. And then your most hated accent. Is it by a girl or a guy? Uh, Either or. Is it, is it an accent that I... The know? one that you hear and go, God, I love that accent. Yeah. Both. Yeah, okay. Probably like a southern British accent I really like. Okay. Uh, from the, the nice posh areas. Oh, right. Oh. The worst accents, South Africans. <laughs> <laughs> Missile. <laughs> Every interview we've done, what's the worst? Everyone said it. The poor old Saffers. It's just like South Africa. There'd be a guy listening to going, Jesus bloody Christ. Throw us a bone, will you? <laughs> I sounded like oh. an American doing an yeah. Australian accent. Yeah, that, that, uh, there's that so wasn't... many of them in swimming, swimming as well. They're shockers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This might uh, be the same answer as the one before, but. The Missile's having three friends over at his house and you get to pick one artist to perform in the garage for you and three mates. Oh, not 50 cent for that sort of that sort of gig, I don't think. Who would it be? You know what? I think you got to go a little bit more rocky. I'll, I'll probably go Blink-182. Great pick. I love Blink-182. Dad? No, I've never really been into them since I sold them skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> Jackass. Uh, uh, this one seems pretty easy for you. Would yeah. you rather be dropped in the middle of the desert or dropped in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> I'll go ocean. See, I'll go ocean. No one's picked ocean. Uh, the first really? one. I think that might be the first one. Everyone said it's the thought of just the deep blue underneath and what's under there frightens them. Mm. Does it frighten you? Uh, yeah, it does a bit. It does a little bit. But I think in terms of survival, I'm, I'm, I'm much better odds in the ocean. Um, I'd run out of energy in the, uh, in the desert pretty quickly, I reckon. You get to a point with swimming because you've done so many kilometers over the years that people say, how far could you swim? Mm. And you just go, well, how long is a piece of string? Like, how far could you walk? Because mm. it feels the same to me as walking. So if really? I was, yeah, if you said to me, how, how far could you swim? I'd say, how long have you got? Yeah, right. Get up, tread water for a little while. Yeah, I can do that, mate. As an old, uh, as a, uh, a person who represented uh, country New South Wales in water polo from the Cessnock Seals, got your miss up. It's not even water in I, Cessnock. I, I did, I did a swim it's clinic. Chlorine, at, mate. I did a swim clinic at Cessnock recently, and they said to me, um, "Oh, we've heard you on SEN." I said, "Oh, thank you." They said, "We actually inducted uh, Matthew and Andrew into the Cessnock Sporting Hall of Fame or something." <laughs> If you see Matt, can you ask him to come up and collect the award? <laughs> I didn't even know I got the award. I said, uh, did either of them turn up? They said, no, they didn't turn up. I didn't even know I got it. That, no. was, that was the local mayor told me that. <laughs> It'd be able to fill up his trophy. Uh, big shout out to Mayor McCheese. <laughs> All right, two more. Who's the loosest Olympian you've ever come across? Oh, wow. Why is it Skippy Hugel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go Ryan Lochte. Oh, yeah, right. What did he do? Um, he was a medley swimmer. Um, same sort of era as Phelps. 
Um, he had a TV show in America on MTV called What Would Ryan Do? <laughs> he used to wear a gold grill out to the blocks to race. Uh, he had dreadlocks at one point. He was a bit of a dude um, and could party. Wow. Yeah. Party hardy. Just thinking about when David Beckham had his dreadlocks. That was so bad. Yeah. Anyway, just Google it, kids. Now it would be called cultural appropriation, right? It's racist for a white guy to have dreadlocks at times. Uh, that's what, actually, Jack yeah. just reminded me. Uh, Beckham didn't have dreadlocks. It was cornrows. Yeah. I just, that's what I'm thinking of as well. I'm thinking of cornrows. That's what I meant. Yeah, cornrows. The yeah. split. Yeah. yeah. Where they tie them up real... That's yeah, what yeah. Lochte had. Okay. I was going to say, I was going to say, nah, David dreadlocks, Beckham dreadlocks. having dreadlocks? I went to Bali and tried to get my hair braided and it just wasn't enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Cat's hair. Okay, last one. <laughs> missile. Human missile. You, The human missile has... You know, he's he's turned into the nuclear missile after Juice helped do his gills and he's, he's passed away. <laughs> Cholesterol levels. Yeah. And uh, me and Dad are walking you down the aisle. Not walking you, you're in a coffin and we're oh, full bearers. What's the song you want played at your funeral? Oh, wow. This is a look into the future, isn't it? Um, Not too far. <laughs> uh, let's go uh, a classic, Baha Men, Who Let the Dogs Out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, i tell you what, Miss Hull, I'm not going to give you the option, Julian or Gabrielle. Gabrielle is good luck. Give me a pat on the head, mate. Yeah, there we, there go. we go. Good luck. <laughs> World record. Yeah, Thanks, Miss Hull. Thanks, boys. Gabrielle loves testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> and what about that, Matt? Very impressive. Very impressive talk of the missile. And uh, what an athlete. Great athlete. Big guy. Big guy, Miss Hull. He, um, from believe, he was a very good back rower. I think he might have played juniors at the Bulldogs. I think he, he did. Have, yeah, he played yeah. juniors at the Bulldogs. But... Um, yeah, and he's done a really good, mate, in the media. He's done a very good job. He's a very straight shooter. He doesn't really... I mean, everyone cares to a certain degree what people think, but he's got... He'll just say it. And, I mean, the best example of the lot is how honest he's been about the enhanced games. Mm. And a great sense of humour, good talker. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does with the enhanced games because I think you look at him... How he talks, how he is, you can tell he's got an addictive personality. And if he wants to go for something, you can tell he's going to go 100 miles an hour at it. Coops, regardless of what you think, excuse me, I wasn't getting emotional, I just burped. <laughs> um, it will cause, it, it will create enormous interest. Enormous interest, what happens, what happens with, with these games. Um, as I said before during the interview, this has been spoken about a lot. It's been a big discussion point for a lot of times with the Olympics, almost since 88 Seoul, when, um, when Ben Johnson got done when he did 9.77, I think he did. People are going, why don't they just open it up and there's all the health issues and all the rest of it. But if this, it's going to be very, very interesting in this enhanced games, whether you like it or whether you don't, right? And I would say most people wouldn't. But if someone starts, if... Everyone starts breaking records and doing these phenomenal times. What does that do to the Olympics? Mm. I think it's definitely going to... and you, you, It'll impact it. Yeah, but you talk about people not getting paid to break a world record or to win big medals at Olympic Games. Like it's With an incentive like a million dollars US, it's just going to slowly... Do, like You've watched the NFL and big sports take really good athletes away from the Olympics. Mm. I'd imagine if this gets big enough... The enhanced games will do the same. Well, Miss I'll compare it to live golf. We're trying to force, trying to force a change. I'd, I'd probably liken it to college football a little bit. 
Right, to, to a degree. Okay. Because college football is, in America, every bit, every bit as big as the NFL. It's massive. In fact, some of the highest paid athletes, well, they're not athletes, but people involved in sport in the world are college football coaches. And traditionally, college players can't be paid. Like, talking about the University of Alabama, well, our, our good friend Sean Carney, Brian's brother, he run a hotel there. When players would stay in those hotels, they had to clear the minibar and everything. You know, it'd be like rugby league as far as the third party. They had to be absolutely amateur. Well, that's changed. Something I don't know the nuances of what happened, but it forced their hands. Yeah. So um, great podcast, though. Nonetheless, you did a great job. Dick. <laughs> oh, I know, mate. Honestly, Tinker Bell's judging Peter Pan. <laughs> See ya, mate. See ya.